have a religious holiday, but to change lives. That God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, as we sang, would come inside the lives of human beings and transform us and make us the people that God called us to be. And, man, that's awesome. That's great. There's a life that God made us for that we couldn't experience it on our own, but Jesus conquered sin and death and everything that stood in the way so that we could. And Manny's one story, there are dozens of stories in this room of how we've, we've, many of us have experienced that. This is the, the single most important event in human history, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not a coincidence that our, our calendar is dated B.C. before Christ and A.D., which means the year of our Lord. That since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have entered a new era of God's kingdom coming into the world and changing lives and changing the world in a way that we can't do, but God's power has been made real so that every person could experience it. And, you know, if if there was no Easter, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. There'd be no way we could experience this life. We'd be stuck on our own. And now it's interesting. We're going to look today at a story of of the day Jesus rose from the dead. And it's interesting that when his disciples, when he came that night, Easter evening, and revealed himself to the, the 11 disciples who were the closest to him, they weren't in a very good place. Because when he had been arrested and then crucified, been crucified, they basically fell apart. Everything they had hoped for and their expectation of what God was going to do for them, it didn't work out the way they expected. And they were at the end of their rope. They were bewildered. They were discouraged. They were defeated. They were disillusioned. They were depressed, completely demoralized. And Jesus comes back to life. And that night, he goes and and meets with his followers. And that encounter with the resurrected Jesus changed everything. That these people that were, they were cowards. They had, they had run away in the point of crisis. After they encountered the resurrected Jesus, they were full of courage. They had been defeated and discouraged and demoralized. They became daring. They're, they're full of boldness. They're afraid of no one. They go out and they change the world. They have complete confidence. They're, they're full of joy. They're not even the same people that, that they were before that. The people that were completely empty are now empowered. And today we're going we're gonna to start this series called Running on Empty. Oftentimes we feel like we're running on empty. That life has just taken a toll. And we're kind of on fumes and out of energy and out of confidence and just... Trying to, trying to make it. And God meets us in that place. And just as he met the disciples when they were running on empty and empowered them, he wants to meet us in that place and empower us. It's kind of a double meaning. Um, we, our, our, some, some of our staff team were talking about this. What are we going to do? We came up with this theme of empty and running on empty. And we thought, oh, it's really a, like a double meaning because it's like we feel like we're running on empty. But the goal is that the tomb became empty, and that the power of the empty tomb is what we would run on instead. That instead of running on empty, we would run on empty, if you get my drift. It's kind of, you know, kind of deep. And, 
Actually, we started to prepare this, and I was looking online, and it turns out we're not the first church that's ever done a series called Running on Empty. I know that's probably a shock. But there's a really well-known church called Saddleback Church, that Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And they did a series, an Easter series, uh, about 10 years ago called When You're Running on Empty. And a lot of what they did we're going to incorporate in this series because it was, was really helpful with what we're doing. But before we, we jump into the Bible, I want to just think about this concept of running on empty. How many of you, when you're driving and your fuel gauge, how many of you, when the, is there anyone here, don't be embarrassed, when the fuel gauge gets to half full or half empty, that's when you fill up? Any, okay, God bless you compulsive people. Man, that's, you probably make the world run better. All you organized, compulsive people. Okay, how many of you, when it gets down to a quarter full, that's when you fill up? Okay, yeah, a bunch more of you. How many of you think that E means, like, there's enough to keep going? <laughs> yeah, that's where I am, too. I tend to think, yeah, I've got a good 50 miles still. And, yeah, I've run out of gas a few times, not too often. I remember once when I was in college, and some buddies and I were driving to Springfield, Missouri, and my car was getting to that E mark, and we didn't know where a gas station was going to be. And it wasn't a manual car, it was automatic. But I was like putting it in neutral, coasting down the hills, trying to make it. <laughs> but everybody's different. Um, just a couple nights ago, Rob Zima, the guy who did the announcements, and uh, our MC this morning, he picked up my car in Topeka, some work was done on it. And he picked it up, it was kind of late at night. And I got a call at 10.30, and he's like, hey, uh, there's, a, there's a quarter of tank in the gas, uh, there's a quarter of tank of gas left? Is, is it going to make it back? I was like, oh yeah, you're going to be fine. Like in my mind, no worries whatsoever. But Rob is just making sure because he's a little more careful. So, but we're going to look today at how, because it's Easter, how Jesus re-energizes our life when we're running on empty. And the power of the empty tomb is what we can run on. And so if, you're, if you've ever felt like you're running on empty, or if today you're in that place, then you're in the right place because Jesus has come to bring his energy and life to us. The, we're going to turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. I'm just going to read through this story and look at seven ways that Jesus helps us when we're running on energy and empowers us. If you have a bulletin, you can take notes there or follow along. But John chapter 20, verse 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, the first thing that, first way Jesus helps us when we're running on empty is he meets us where we are. It doesn't matter where we are, we don't have to come to him, he comes to us. And the disciples, as I had said earlier, were not in a very good place. They were freaking out. They were confused. They had just, their whole expectation of their life and their hopes had been shattered. And they had failed the test. They had turned tail and run when their leader was arrested. And they were living with that guilt and that shame and that, oh man, what's going to happen now? And by the way, our leader just got killed. What's going to happen to us? And they were just not in a good place whatsoever. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, you know what? I rose from the dead, but I'm going to wait till my disciples figure it out. I'm going to let them find me. I'm going to let them like work through this thing and build up some courage and do enough penance to make up for all their mistakes. And then maybe someday they can 
earn the right to, for me to come to them or for them to show up where I am. But no, he met them right where they were. And that's what Jesus does for us. It doesn't matter where we are. He takes the initiative, and he comes to us. Um, they, were, they were tired. They were, you know, Vince Lombardi said that, that fatigue makes cowards of us all. You know, isn't that so true? When you're worn down, when you're tired, man, we just become cowards. Like, we, we don't think straight. We, we make cowardly decisions. It's not good. It's, it's interesting also that they, were, they had the doors locked because of fears. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and we do that in our own lives. We, we lock doors to, to keep people out or to keep, keep danger out. But when we lock doors, a lot of times we lock ourselves in as well. And here they were, like, the people God was going to use to change the world, but they were hiding in a room, locked in. And, you know, I wonder, is there something that, that you've locked the door on in your life? You know, some of us have locked the door on God. Where we've just like, nope, I'm, I'm locking that door. I don't want to deal with that. And, but Jesus appears. Even he, one of the other gospels says he, he just walked, the door didn't even open. He came through. He came right through that locked door. And Jesus shows up in our life, no matter what the locks are. And he appears to take away our fears. You know, Jesus is, he does this in our life too. He, he shows up in our life when we're not deserving it, when we're not expecting it. A lot of times, it was interesting, when he showed up to the, the disciples, they didn't recognize it was him at first. And a lot of times, that's how it is for us. God shows up. He's acting in circumstances or a person in our life. I mean, how many of you know it wasn't a coincidence that Manny talked to Colin Urit in the lobby here on a Wednesday night, a guy who happened to be part of Bluemont Church? Like, God is orchestrating things to work in our life, but sometimes we don't realize what's going on. It's not always that obvious, but sometimes it is, and we, we still miss it. But he is closer than we realize. He is taking the initiative to come to us. So he meets us where we are. The second thing he does is he encourages you. He doesn't just show up, but he brings encouragement. When he showed up, the first thing he said was, was peace be with you. In other words, hey, it's going to be okay. I've got it under control. Don't flip out. Don't worry. I'm with you. And, you know, I love this because not just what he said, but what he didn't say. You know, I mean, think about this. If you were the leader of a group or you were a supervisor and your team did what his team did, what would be the things that you would want to say to them? You know, how can you leave me? You good for nothing. I can't believe it. I trained you for three years and I told you what was going to happen. And there's so many things he could have told them, but he didn't do any of that. He just came straight to, hey, it's going to be okay. Peace be with you. Didn't even bring it up whatsoever. And he, you know, I think he did this because he understood. He knew they were confused. And he knew, what, he knew what they were feeling. And he probably, you know, he knew what they were feeling better than they knew what they were feeling, especially because most of them were dudes. And, you know, guys just aren't in touch with their feelings. They had no idea what they were feeling. And so he came and he gave them the encouragement they needed. And that's what he does for us. No matter what we're facing, no matter what worries are in our life, no matter if it's with our kids or our job or our future or school or finances or health or conflict, God comes. And his word to us is not, hey, man, you need to, you need to, what's wrong with you? How come you can't do this? But he always brings his encouragement. He meets us where we're at and encourages us. It's so good. You know, this is, this is real. You know, a lot of times I'm in that place of being stressed out. And, but, you know, a lot of times I'm, 
by the grace of God, I am facing circumstances that are so over my head, I have no clue how it's going to work out. There are people and situations, and I'm like, this is way beyond me. And you know what? I don't feel stressed out. And it's because God is real. And when we trust in him, he comes through, and he shows up in our life. And in fact, I just want to pray right now, and just ask that if, for where we're facing those situations, that God would bring his encouragement into our lives. So let's just take a second, and if you want to, if you want to do that, let's, let's, let's ask God together. Lord, thank you that you encourage us. I pray this morning for, for everyone here, that whatever situation they're facing, that you would give them a confidence that they can trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would bring your encouragement, your hope, your faith into a situation that maybe doesn't have a natural answer, but you're the answer. Lord, bring that right now. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, back to the story here in verse 20. It says, after he said this, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The, he's showing them his hands where the nails went in and his side where the spear went in. And part of that is his, it's identifying, hey, it's really me. This isn't, you're not imagining this. This isn't a hoax. It's really me. But part of that is the third thing that he does in our life when we're running on empty is he shows us his love. Because those were the marks of his complete love for his followers. That he gave his life. That he was willing to, to die, to be crucified for them. You know, there's nothing that helps us more when we're running on empty than experiencing the love of God. The, Romans 5.8 says this. It says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God has demonstrated his love in, in the greatest way we could ever know through Jesus giving his life for us. But you may say, like, well, how does that help me when I'm stressed out? How does that help me when I'm feeling overwhelmed? Well, when you know that you're loved unconditionally by God, you relax. You may not know how it's all going to work out, but you know, okay, God loves me. He's for me. It's going to work out. A lot of times the reason we're, we're striving so much, the reason we're running around so much and stressed out so much is because we think we have to take it all upon ourselves, and we're not sure that we're loved. Because of the lack of knowing that we're loved inside, we're trying to produce something through all the stuff in our life. But when we know that God loves us, it takes that pressure away. And we can relax. We're not overworking. We're not striving all at once. Um, it turns off the pressure valve in our life. And we can stop trying to perform. And then everything that we do isn't driven by our insecurity, but it's driven by yeah, God, you love me. I love you too. And I want to live for you. But it's not this, this pressure that's coming on us in that sense. So God shows us his love. Not only that, but he goes on and he gives, he gives us a new reason to live. That's the, the, the fourth thing we see in this story. When we're running on empty, is God gives us a new reason to live. And in verse 21, it says, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. So he says it twice. Hey, take courage. Peace be with you. I'm with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
Wow, that was God sending them into his purpose, into the reason they were living. He was saying the same way that I came to the earth to serve God and to bring his kingdom and make disciples and change the world, just as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you into the world to bring my kingdom and change the world and shine for me. Now again, think about this. He hadn't reprimanded them yet. He hadn't even, hadn't even done any constructive like coaching. Like, okay, yeah, you know, eventually we'll get to that point, but you guys have a lot of stuff you need to figure out first. <laughs> but this is like right off the bat, hey, peace be with you, hey, and I'm sending you into the world. Man, think of what that did to them. Think of the jolt of confidence. Like, wow, God believes in us. He's given, me, given us what we need. And that's what God does. He gives us a new reason to live. And it's not the stuff that the people in our culture are living for. It's not money. It's not success. It's not accolades. It's God's purposes. And, you know, I love this because I'm a, I'm a man, and, and men especially tend to be not interested in churchy things. Like, so often I think we've, we've ruined the purpose of God by we think it's about, like, being a nice person and going to a lot of prayer meetings and churchy stuff. And it's like, our natural tendency is help me barf. Like, that's, that's okay, I, maybe I should want to do that, but that's not, there's, that's not the thing that's driving me. But there's a sense that there's a reason, there's, there's a greater purpose. I want a challenge for my life. I want there to be something for my life that it's so big that I've got to change into a different person to live this out. And that's how God has made us. And that's true for men, that's true for women too. That God has made us for his purpose and he sends us out. He gives us a reason to live. The problem in in America, a lot of it is that we have, we have so much to live on, but we don't have something to live for. We're like, oh, man, maybe more stuff will make me feel happy. But it, it doesn't work. Maybe more entertainment will make me feel happy. But it's, no, it's not what we need to live on. Or it's what we need to live for that, that causes, takes us from, to, from running on empty to living out the life, the empowered life God has for us. So I want to ask you this. What are, what are you living for? What's the, the purpose in your life? What's the goal that you're living for? Philippians 2.15 in the message translation of the Bible says it like this, what our purpose is. I love this. this. It says, go out into the world uncorrupted, like a breath of fresh air in a squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. You've got to shine among them like stars lighting up the, star, the sky. It's like, be different. Have a different nature about you and bring God's light into the world. So that's what we can do when we turn from living for ourselves and entering God's purpose. We can come into that. John, uh, moving on to the next verse, verse 22. It says, with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is... The next thing God does when we're running on empty is he fills us with his presence. God says, I want to be with you. No, I don't just want to be with you, I want to be in you. The Bible calls this being filled with the Spirit. It's not, and we think, well, oh wow, if like, God came on me more, like, would I be more religious? No, it's not like you get more like a religious person, but you become, when the more of God that is in us, the more we become the real us. 
the person we were made to be. If we're a man, we become more masculine, more manly. If we're a woman, we become more truly feminine, more what we're supposed to be, and the uniqueness of our personality and who God made us. The more of God is in us, the more it leads us into who we were meant to be. Two things happen when we get filled with God's presence. The first is we stop being lonely. I was just, this week, I was tucking my nine-year-old son, Ian, into bed, and Ian's really social. Like, he, he wants to be with people all the time. And he's, he kind of doesn't like summer breaks sometimes because he's not with all his classmates as much. And so, some days, like the days when he's, he goes and knocks on his friend's house and they're not home, it's a bad day. And it was a day like that the other day. So I was tucking him in at night, and like, Ian, how you doing? He's like, I'm lonely. Dolan wasn't home. Jack wasn't home. I just, I just feel lonely. And I just told him, hey, Ian, I know. Sometimes life is like that. We all feel lonely. But you know what? God is with you all the time. God is a better friend than any of those guys. Especially if you knew them. You'd know that was true. <laughs> he is, he, and he really is. Ian's a Christian. He's God, Jesus is in his heart. God is with you, and in those times of feeling lonely, it's when God wants you to turn to him and say, hey, Jesus, I, I want you. I need you. Did I feel your presence right now? Can, I, can you help me? And he will. And sometimes you've got to go through those lonely times to build that friendship with God. And so when we look to him, we receive his presence in our life. This happened, I believe, that when Jesus breathed on them, that was their salvation moment. That was their conversion. Because what happens when we... Trust in Jesus, and he gives us a new heart. He comes and lives inside of us. And from that point on, we're not alone anymore. So we stop being lonely, and the other thing that happens is we start producing certain character qualities. There are nine of these listed in the Bible called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, get it, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of the Spirit being in us. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When God is in us, these character qualities grow in us as well. And, you know, they're, they're like, they're fruit, kind of like fruit, they grow kind of slowly. You're not just overnight, you're like, man, I don't know how much of that's in my life. Well, it's a process. It doesn't just happen. But the more we walk with God and his, his presence is in us, the more that happens. And, you know, we're, if God, if we're not being filled with God's presence, we're going to be looking to something else to fill us. We were made for God, and without God, it's going to be something else. And, you know, I wonder, what is it that, that you all look to? What are the things that when you come home from work, is it like turn on the TV and try to fill yourself with entertainment? Or is it food? Or it could be drugs. It could be porn. It could be one-night stands. There's so many things that we look to 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 try to fill us. You know, the, probably the biggest thing, I think, in our culture that we try to fill ourselves with is work. It's like, okay, if I can just do more, I feel like I'm accomplishing something. I can be productive. We try to fill ourselves with because when that stops, then there's the emptiness. And God wants us to be filled with his presence. And that happens when we turn to him and look to him. So after he, he put his, his spirit in them, in verse 23... Jesus said this, he said, if you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The next thing Jesus does is he offers us forgiveness. He, he forgives their sin, and not only that, but empowers them to forgive others. 
And this is important because forgiveness is a huge energizer. Because the two things that drain us the most, emotionally and physically, are resentment and guilt. When we're feeling guilty, we are drained. And when we're resentful and bitter towards others and what they've done towards us, we're running on empty big time. And so we have to receive God's forgiveness for our guilt, and then we have to extend his forgiveness to others. And this is what we can do because of Jesus. We can be forgiven and we can walk in forgiveness towards others. I heard a story recently of a woman who got married and she said, later she had a whole lot of trouble in her marriage. And she said, you know, when I look back, I realized when I was walking down that aisle in my white dress, it was like I was carrying garbage bags of guilt and resentment. And I've been walking this out like for the rest of my life. I've had so many issues because of those things. And that's true for us, too, that there are problems in our lives, problems in our marriages, problems in our relationships because of guilt and resentment. But God wants us to let go of those, to be forgiven from him, and to forgive others. Forgiveness is the key to happiness. In Psalm 32.1, we're told, Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven and whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty anymore. All right, just one more here. And I think this is the... This is my favorite one. And all these, these are all great. But this is uh, starting in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So his, his buddies told him, Jesus showed up. He's like, eh, a likely story. <laughs> sure he did. If he really did, I, I need to see him myself. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, here it is for the third time, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. The last thing Jesus does is he helps us believe. He helps you believe. And this is good. Thomas doubted. How many of you know we all have doubts? How many of you know Jesus isn't afraid of our doubts? Now, sometimes that's a misnomer. I've, I've talked to people that say, you know, I grew up in a, some sort of religious environment, and somewhere along the way I asked the leader or the priest these really questions I had about God that didn't make sense. They were, I was struggling with them. I've heard this more than a few times. And the answer I was told was, hey, don't ask those questions. you just got to believe. That's not believing. Okay? That's not believing. What, that's just like, what, I don't know what that is. That's stupid is what that is. All right? You got questions, then you don't think about it. Like, that's, that's not, God's not afraid of our questions. He has answers to our questions. Now, that doesn't mean we're always going to understand the, the fullness of every answer to every question. But God's not afraid of it. He's like, oh, shoot, that question again. Oh, man, I hate it when they ask that. They get me with that one. 
No. He's, it's, if he's real, if he is, he's not afraid of it. And he loves the people that are honestly seeking. This week, we, we, were, on our, we, were, we were talking about the series on Facebook and Easter, and there was one person who, who, who saw it, who wasn't a believer, and she fired back with some questions, and she kind of set it up. She said, this is an honest question. And, but then she had some, a lot of doubts, and so Rob and I were going back and forth, exchanging things with her, and I was like, this is great, actually. Like, this is an, an exchange of ideas. Like, this is what people should be doing, is honestly looking at things and investigating and going to God with those. And so that's, that's how it works. I actually read um, a poem. I don't read a lot of poetry, but I stumbled upon this a couple weeks ago. I thought this was so powerful. It's by Alfred Lord Tennyson. It was a, a poem he wrote, actually. It took him 17 years to write this because it was processing the death of a close friend of his. And all, there's an untimely death. And he was a close friend, just brought a lot of questions and issues. And so this, this poem came out of that struggle, out of the doubt, out of the questions. And part of that, the first line is, you may have heard before. And this whole poem is, is powerful. I'm just going to quote a few lines. He wrote, there lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. In other words, it's better to have honest doubt where you're wrestling with God and asking than just people that are blindly following something but haven't really dug deep and looked at it for themselves. He faced his doubts and in the end gathered strength. Thus he came at length to find a stronger faith his own and power, capital P, was with him in the night. It's kind of this process of when we honestly go to God and face our doubts and bring them to him, that we can come to a place of greater faith and experiencing God's power in our life, not just in the things that are hunky-dory, but in the night, in the darkness, in the stuff you can't understand that comes through in those places. So Thomas had his doubt, but there were a couple things he did right. One is he hung out with other believers. And if, you're only, if you have doubts and all you hang out with is doubters, that you're probably going to stay in a place of just doubt. But if, by coming around people that have found answers, you'll, you're giving faith a chance. And you're giving that a chance to come in and intersect with your life. Second thing is he asked Jesus to reveal himself in a real way. You know, it was very real. Hey, I need to put my fingers in his side where that hole was. I need to see those holes in his hands. But he was saying, I need to see this for real. And, again, God's not afraid of us asking that we want to encounter him in a real way. That's the very thing that he wants for us, too. But we do need to be ready to, to doubt our doubts. And a lot of times we get it backwards. We, we believe our doubts. And we doubt belief. But beliefs are meant to be believed and doubts are made to be doubted. And so that's, that's the goal. And so if we, you know, God has given us so much evidence in the creation that he's real. In our consciences, we know there's a right from wrong. In, in Jesus himself is the greater ev- greatest evidence of, of who God is and his reality. God has given us enough if we're, if we're really willing to come to him. And, you know, a big question, too, is are we willing to trust him and follow him? if he does reveal himself to us. Thomas, when he, when he encountered Jesus, said, My Lord and my God, you are, I will live for you. I will trust you. You're my Lord. I, I remember talking to a, a student, actually an international student from China one time, and we had a few conversations about God, and he had a lot of doubts. And then I, I asked him this question. I said, well, hey, if God did show himself to you, would you be willing to follow him and obey him completely? 
And he thought about it. He said, I need to think about that. And we came back a couple of days later. He said, you know what? No, I wouldn't. I, I, I want to live for myself. I don't, I don't, I don't want to live for God. I said, well, it's a little less likely then that you're going to easily have God reveal himself to you because maybe there's stuff in you that's keeping you from experiencing him fully. You've got to be willing to, to follow him if he does. All right. Uh, awesome stuff. I just want to summarize this. You know, today, if we're running on empty, if you're running on empty, Jesus wants to do for you the same seven things that he did for his disciples on that first Easter. The disciples were afraid, and so he comes to them. He comes to us, and he meets us where we're at, where we're hiding, wherever we're at. He comes and meets us. The disciples were confused. They're like, what's going on? What's happening? So he gives them a word of encouragement. Hey, it'll be okay. I'm with you. The disciples felt unloved, so he says, hey, this is how much I love you. I gave my all for you. They're feeling useless. Feeling like, God couldn't use me after all I've done and all my failures, everything in me. And so he tells them, hey, guess what? We're going to change the world. I'm going to use you. Us. We're going to go change the world together. Disciples are feeling all alone. He comes to them not only to be with them, but inside them. They're ashamed because they flaked out when he needed them most. So what does he do? He offers them forgiveness. And he gives them the power to forgive. And he does that to you too. And when they feel doubt, he says, hey, let me help you believe. He doesn't put you down. He says, I understand. Let me help you. And he's ready to do the same for you this Easter. In John, the next verse, in John 20, 29, Jesus is talking with Thomas. He says this, he says, you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. But even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. You know who he's talking about there? He's talking about you. He's talking about us. We're the ones, we don't see him physically, but we can believe without seeing and there are even better blessings that are in store for us to do that. So I'm going to pray for us, and the worship team's going to come back up. We're going to worship God with another song. But I'm going to pray for us and help, ask God to help us. Let's be empowered.